Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our second reading for the Mass today is one of the classics of our scriptural tradition. It's taken from the 13th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It's his great hymn to love. It's at the level of Shakespeare in terms of its literary quality. It's one of the deepest statements, too, of Christian faith, Christian life, Christian belief. And so we're on very holy ground as we look at this text. I want to set, though, the context a little bit for it. Paul founded this church in Corinth. He loved this church. And he wrote to it. We have these two letters. He maybe wrote some more, but we have two of them. And they're full of some of Paul's richest theological reflection. The problem that preoccupies him throughout the letter is the problem of factionalism in the church of Corinth. This church that he founded and loved was divided into warring groups. Of course, sounds rather familiar, doesn't it? Up and down the centuries until the present day, the church is riven by factions. The letter opens and Paul says, Some of you say, I'm for Paul, I'm for Cephas, I'm for Apollos, I'm for Christ. Has Christ been divided? Did Paul die for your sins? We're all for Christ. We're all defined by Christ. Forget this factionalism. It's invaded even the Eucharistic practice of the church. The meal that's supposed to be the great sign of unity and love has devolved into bickering and rivalry. It's also affected, Paul says, the exercise of the spiritual gifts. Some are given gifts of tongues and interpreting tongues, gifts of knowledge and prophecy and healing, but now there's a rivalry among those who have the various gifts. That's why Paul develops that beautiful analogy of the body. Can the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you? Can the eye say to the hand, I I, I don't need you? No, we, the church, our body made up of interdependent cells and molecules and organs. The climax, the high point of Paul's battle with factionalism is this chapter 13 and his meditation on the nature of love. And so it behooves us to listen carefully to him just as the church of Corinth listened. Here's the first thing he observes. Love is the gold standard. Love is the test. Love is what determines everything in the Christian life. Listen, if I speak with human tongues and angelic as well, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. So you've been given this great spiritual gift. You can speak in tongues like the angels. So what? if it's not informed by love and for the purpose of love. He goes on, If I had the gift of prophecy 
and with full knowledge comprehend all mysteries. If I have faith great enough to move the mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. I'm a person of deep faith, wisdom, perception, understanding. I understand the deep things of God. So what, says Paul, unless that knowledge is informed by love, leads to love, is surrounded by love. Otherwise, it'll devolve into pride and self-regard. He goes on. If I give everything I have to feed the poor, hand my body over to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I do all kinds of great moral things. I give everything I have away to the poor, but I'm not doing it out of love. It matters nothing. I might be doing it to draw attention to myself. I might be doing it to get people to like me and to admire me. Love is the test. Love must undergird and inform everything we do. You know what's interesting, Christians? When the church considers someone for canonization, they don't look at their miracles during their lifetime. Someone might have raised the dead. That has no bearing on whether or not they become a saint. They might have spoken in tongues all their life. It has no bearing on it. All that matters is the quality of their love. It's the test. It's the ground. It's everything. What is love? What is this quality that Paul is putting his finger on here as so important? We might first follow his own Greek and refer to this quality as agape. Because as I've often said, love in English is a very ambiguous word. We use it to cover lots of ground, from erotic love to emotional attraction to the deepest kind of self-giving. In Paul, agape means willing the good of the other. Not so much a satisfaction of my desires, but agape is willing the good of the other as other. Not being kind or generous so that it might redound to my benefit. Not, I like you so you'll like me. But agape is the desiring of the good of the other. That's the Christian life. It's everything. Everything else is a footnote. Everything else is decoration. That is the heart of the matter. Now, having defined it, Paul walks around it, noticing its various aspects, its various faces. Let's follow him as he does it. He says, love, agape, is patient. It's the first thing he says about it, by the way. Love is patient. It's long-suffering. Christians, when you really want the good of someone else, you're willing to wait. When you're willing your own good through them, that's when you get impatient. Why aren't they responding? I've been kind to them. Why aren't they kind to me? I've forgiven them. Why don't they forgive me? That's a sign that you're not doing this out of love, out of agape. Love, which wants the good of the other, is willing to wait. I've forgiven, but they have not forgiven me. Okay. I'll keep forgiving. I was compassionate to him. He was not compassionate to me. Okay, 
I'll keep being compassionate. That's love. That's agape. Think of a parent. Again, it's the best image we have of love. And of course, God is often compared to a parent. Does a parent stop loving his son, his daughter, when he or she is unresponsive? Does a parent love his children only when they respond and do what he wants, listen to him, obey him? Well, no, that would be a dysfunctional parent. A good mother, of course, loves her children in season and out. Whether they love her back or not, whether they're cooperating or not, love is patient because it's focused not on the ego but on the good of the other. What else does Paul say? Agape is not jealous. How important that is, I think, because jealousy is such a spiritual problem. A lot of us are bedeviled by jealousy. When you want the good of the other, you don't resent his goodness. When you want the good of the other, you don't resent his accomplishment. You don't resent good things happening. When you want what's good, you rejoice in his good, in his success, in his achievement. I think I've quoted to you before Gore Vidal's line, the great American novelist. He said, When a friend of mine succeeds... Something in me dies. It's a terrible thing. It's very honest. It's very honest. But it's the opposite of agape. It's the opposite of love. When a friend of mine succeeds, something in me dies because I resent his accomplishment. I want my ego to be primary. The person who is in love wants the good of the other. And so, of course, he's not jealous. Paul goes on. Agape, love, does not put on airs. It is not snobbish. How good that is, too. How perceptive. So much of our social, economic, political lives are predicated upon rivalry, jockeying for position, finding the top row, the top rung. I saw a commercial just the other day for this new show, with Donald Trump, and he's trying to get these young people to out-fox each other, compete with each other, so they can get a job from him. And there was a woman on, and she's shouting down another woman. And she goes, I've made it all the way from the ghetto to the boardroom, and you're not going to get ahead of me. I thought, wow, there's the opposite of agape, love. Love is not uh, snobbish, does not put on errors. Love doesn't seek primacy over the other. Love doesn't seek to put you down that I might feel exalted. Well, no. You realize that when the other is lifted up, so you are lifted up. It wants others to succeed. It wants others to be noticed. There's something self-effacing about love, about true agape. Paul goes on, Agape is not prone to anger nor does it brood over injuries. How perceptive again that is. How bedeviled many of us are by anger and by the brooding over injuries. When your ego is in the center of your life, of course you brood over injuries. 
Ten years ago, he said something to me, and it so hurt me, and I'm still hurt by it. Twenty years ago, I got snubbed by someone at a party, and so I have been licking that wound ever since. In fact, even opening it once in a while to remind me of my anger. That means your ego is so dominant in your life, brooding over injuries. I've often told groups that there's enough anger in this room to light up the whole city. It's all these past resentments, our inability to forgive. Love, which looks to the good of the other, can't waste time with these old grudges. That's the point. It can't waste time. It wants the good of the other. So why is it bothering hanging on to all these old resentments? Let them go. It doesn't brood over injuries. It's so good. Agape doesn't hang on to the old hurts. It tries to find a way out through forgiveness, through compassion, through nonviolence, through just plain old forgetting sometimes. Paul closes. There are three things that last. Faith, hope, and love. He means nothing in this world lasts. Our success here, our titles, our privileges, none of it. it it's all going to fade away. It'll all be swallowed up. And then, even in heaven, faith and hope will fade away. Because when I'm looking at the face of God, I don't need faith, I'm seeing. When I'm in the presence of God, I don't need hope. I've realized it. The one thing that lasts all through heaven is love. That's why Christians, even now, this is the one thing that ought to preoccupy us, the one thing we ought to worry about, the one thing we ought to cultivate. Everything else, even faith and hope, fade away. But this one thing lasts. And so cultivate it, study it, practice it. Love is all that matters. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Puzzled by school meal programs? Let FSP help you put the pieces together. How? FSP offers healthy, student-tested breakfast, lunch, and snack plans, fresh from our kitchens each day. Quality, service, affordability, that's what FSP has offered since 1970. To take advantage of this program, call us at 773-385-5103. FSP, we're more than a school food service.